Hey guys, it's Dr. Childs here. Um, today I want to talk about having a suppressed TSH and specifically I want to dive into um, help you determine if it's a dangerous thing to have and then also learn more about situations in which it may actually uh, be beneficial. Um, so let's let's jump right in here. The first thing that we have to discuss is what does it actually mean to have a suppressed TSH? Um, and in a general sense, is this a dangerous thing? So to define this, um, suppressed TSH is, is often um, a state which is, uh, that occurs when taking too much thyroid hormone, um, but it can also occur um, secondary to natural hyperthyroid disease states, so things like grave disease and toxic multinodular goiter and, and things like that. And, and what it means is it refers to um, the response that your body has to this stimuli. And so if you understand basic physiology, what happens is this. Um, well, let's, let's, let's talk about it this way because there's a lot of things that we could, we could do here. Um, basically what happens if you are reliant upon thyroid medication, meaning your hypothyroid um, for some condition, like let's say Hashimoto's, and you're taking thyroid medication, um, what, that, what happens when you consume that medication is there's a natural response in your body where your TSH responds to the amount of thyroid hormone that you're taking. So when you are, when you take, let's say, 100 micrograms, your TSH is usually going to uh, reduce as a result of that. Now, if you were to increase that from 100 micrograms to 125 micrograms, your TSH would go even farther down, closer to zero. Now, if we were to take you from 100 micrograms and, and reduce it to 75, your TSH would then rise. And so this is how doctors... This is the, the uh, feedback mechanism that doctors use to what is called titrate your thyroid medication, and they do that based off of the TSH. Now, what the a suppressed TSH means is that the thyroid medication that you're taking is in a dose that is sufficient to reduce that TSH beyond what would be considered the normal reference range. And, and so this is felt to be um, a bad thing, um, pretty much... Uh, 100% throughout um, all specialties and, and all physicians. And so the concern is that, and we'll talk about why this probably, why there is some concern for doing this, but why I think the logic and the way that we think about this is not 100% um, accurate. So the logic is that if we do this, then um, we are mimicking a state which would occur in pathological disease states such as Graves' disease or hyperthyroidism. So we're equating both conditions. Um, now, there's some there's some problems with that. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, now, is this actually a big deal? Is this worth talking about? And I would say yes. Uh, the reason is because it's um, it's estimated that somewhere between 25 and 40 percent of patients who take thyroid hormone, meaning levothyroxine or tyrosine or synthroid or any combination, at some point will experience a below normal TSH. Um, so there's a good chance that you'll fall into this category at one time or another. Now the problem is, and this happens quite a bit, is that patients who um, are experiencing thyroid disease, like let's say hypothyroidism, they're on medication and their doctor is adjusting it. So let's say they start at you know 50, they go up to 75, they feel a little bit better at the 75, they go up to 100, they feel a little bit better, and they go up to 125 and they're like, you know, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really good and this is great, this is normal, I'm, I'm feeling awesome. Then what happens is they go to their doctor their doctor checks their TSH and he goes, oh, well, your TSH is too low, so that means we need to reduce your dose. So then the dose gets reduced, you start feeling worse again, 
and you're thinking, well, how can that be? I, I was feeling good. Um, why are we altering my dosage based off of this one test? And so that's why this is important. We need to determine, is that actually a good way to approach thyroid management? And I think I think there's some pros and some cons, so we'll talk about that. Um, but two things um, happen here. So number one is the patient who's in that situation is constantly having their dose adjusted. Sometimes they feel good, sometimes they feel poor, but they're just going in and out. They probably try other doctors, but you know, they're just not feeling better, so the dose is constantly going up and down, the TSH is constantly going up and down, and they're just sort of stuck there. So that's one group of patients. The other group of patients, they, let's just say they get fed up with this process, this cycle, and they think, well, you know what, I felt good on 125, so I'm taking 125. So then they start taking 125, they feel good, but their TSH is low, it's suppressed. And those people tend to be concerned, and so do the doctors who are treating them, um, for two main reasons, and we're going to talk about both of those, but... Number one is doctors will say that having a suppressed TSH increases your risk for developing bone loss or osteoporosis. That's number one. And number two is they will say that having a suppressed TSH increases your risk of uh, cardiovascular problems such as atrial fibrillation, which is actually a rhythm disorder. And so there's two main categories of issues that they're concerned about. Number one is the heart problems, and number two is the bone problems, so we'll, we'll go into each of those. Now, one, you know, well, we'll just talk about those a little bit later because I go into great detail about those. Before we do that, um, we need to talk about is there any concern uh, for suppressing the TSH just in general? Um, and I've posed several questions here uh, that I'm, that I'm going to talk to you guys about um, because, and I, and I think they're important, and, and the reason is we need to be very precise about how we approach this problem and we need to ask the right questions and and I don't think it's a it's fair for us to to equate the um, endogenous reduction in, in TSH that occurs as a result of taking thyroid medication and w and equate that to the pathological conditions or pathologic conditions such as Graves disease um, and so forth and here's why these are the questions I think need to be answered um, is and we'll just go through these. I've, I've pulled them here, but is T TSH suppression from exogenous hormone? Um, exogenous means something that you're taking by mouth, so don't let that confuse you. So exo exogenous refers to any hormone that you're consuming that isn't naturally like inside of your body being produced normally. So is any hormone is TSH suppression from those sources equivalent to TSH suppression um, from endogenous hormones? And endogenous hormone production would be those things like the toxic multinodular goiter, um, TSH secreting cancers, Graves disease, or any cause of hyperthyroidism. The second thing is, um, how does the degree of TSH suppression impact the negative consequences? So, well, we'll so let me just go on and then we'll, we'll talk about this. Um, is TSH suppression with T4 medication equivalent to TSH suppression from T3 only medications? So we've already run into several problems here. Um, whenever we Whenever doctors refer to uh, TSH suppression, they just generally refer to it as a bad state, regardless of how you got there. I don't think that's fair. We need, we need, to, we need to talk about the differences in all of these uh, situations. Um, and so I think the first thing that we need to talk about is how you get there and the degree of suppression that you can get. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're taking 100 micrograms. Let's, let's go back to the original example I used in the beginning. Let's say you're, let's say you're taking 125 micrograms of level thyroxine. Your TSH is low. Not zero, but low. Now, that suppression is not that great. It's a pretty benign suppression, right? Let's just say you're, it's like 
your TSH is 0.3, and the normal range is 0.45. Like, that's the low end of the normal range. That 0.3 is not the same as having a TSH which is 0.01 or less than 0.01. And so what, what we could say here is your, your TSH is technically suppressed with this 125 microgram dose of um, level thyroxine, but what if you were to take 600 micrograms? Okay, that would be many times higher than that dose, but you still technically fall into the TSH suppression uh, zone, you know, that, that, which means your TSH is low. But those two are, cannot be the same, right? That there is a difference between the amount and the degree of TSH suppression. Now, what I'm saying is that there's also a difference between uh, TSH suppression caused by T3 and TSH suppression caused by T4. So we have to factor that in. Um, the next question is, does, this is a really, really important one, does the benefit of TSH suppression outweigh the potential negative consequences um, of experiencing uh, symptoms related to that for an indefinite amount of time? So basically what I'm saying here is, is it better to have TSH suppression and to experience the benefit of that? Um, or is it, or will the potential consequences of having um, bone some bone loss or, or some risk to your heart, are those, do those outweigh the benefits? Now, here's an example that I pose because I think um, this is one that, that comes up frequently among patients. So let's say you did suppress your TSH, but the trade-off for suppressing your TSH was that you lost 50 pounds. Okay. Now the question is, is it better for you to be overweight by 50 pounds for 20 years or two decades? Or is it better to take the risk of having TSH suppression and to be 50 pounds lighter? Now, we know that uh, having extra weight on your body increases your risk of all sorts of metabolic issues, right? High cholesterol, um, increased risk of insulin resistance, increased risk of stroke, increased risk of heart attack or myocardial, myocardial infarction, all of these things. So I don't think it's fair to say, well, TSH suppression is dangerous. Okay, well, that may be true in some, in some um, situations. But is that risk, does that risk outweigh uh, the potential negatives of having the suppression? And I think that needs to be handled on a case-by-case -case basis. So it's not, it's not so much that you can just, it's not as clear-cut as, as we like to think. And then the other, the other question I pose here is, lastly, is there any risk of temporarily suppressing the TSH for, let's say, three to five, three to nine months or something like that? So what if we could, we could create a situation in which you could lose that 50 pounds, um, we could temporarily suppress your TSH for the, a time period of, let's say, three to nine months, or probably closer to six to nine months, um, but you would lose 50 pounds, and then we could change your thyroid medication and your TSH would become normal. Now, is that worth it? Now, that's a whole other question entirely. These are, these are sort of hypothetical questions that I, that I just pose in a general sense, because without having answers to them, we really don't have the full story. And unfortunately, there isn't a lot of data to, to answer all of these questions, but they're, they're, they're a way to approach this problem and a way to think about it. Um, I would argue that um, there probably isn't any long-term lasting damage from temporary TSH suppression. And, and in most cases, I can't imagine a scenario in which, well, there's certainly some scenarios, but in, in general, it would, it's far better to, let's say, be 50 pounds lighter on your body assuming you're 50 pounds overweight, you know, I'm not talking about going below a normal body weight, but let's assume that you're 50 pounds overweight and you lose that 50 pounds and you exchange that for a temporary TSH suppression of, let's say, nine months. Um, I, I can't imagine that that small temporary suppression um, outweighs 
the benefit of losing 50 pounds on your body log term. So anyway, those are the hypothetical questions we need to answer and, and, and think about. But let's talk more specifically about the studies and, and um, how they relate to the two very important conditions that we discussed initially. So the first one is bone loss, which is often cited um, as, as a problem uh, related to TSH suppression. Now, is it actually a problem? First of all, we know that, that, that there are thyroid hormone receptors on, on the cells in your bones. We know that. We know that they react to it. What happens in hyperthyroid patients, and I, and I distinguish between hyperthyroid patients, um, which is secondary to causes like Graves' disease, and quote-unquote hyperthyroid patients who just have are taking too much thyroid hormone. I don't think those are equivalent always, um, so we're, we're differentiating those. But if we look at patients who have Graves' disease and we follow their, um, their DEXA scan and we look at their, their bones over time, we do actually see a reduction in bone mass. And so the, the logic is, well, hey, if it happens to those patients that have Graves, well, then it's probably going to happen to patients who we just suppress their TSH, right? Because again, they're trying to equate both conditions, which is not necessarily a fair statement. Now, here's the problem, though. The studies that have, that have been con um, conducted, and they include long-term studies, have been up in the air. What that means is some studies do show that suppressing your TSH with medication does result in some bone loss. And then there's an, you know, probably an equal amount. I, I'm just uh, um, approximating here because I haven't actually counted them. But, th but at least in my, my research, I've seen a fair amount both sides. There's another group of studies which say, hey, it doesn't look like suppressing the TSH causes any impact on, on um, bone loss. So right away, you, have, you should be a little bit suspicious about this. If there's, and this happens all the time in medicine. There's um, where, where scientists try to look for an outcome, and some scientists find that it's, you know, it correlates and it exists, and then another group of scientists find that it doesn't correlate and it doesn't exist. This is just something you always have to deal with. So we need to be more precise about how we look at this issue and, and break it down a little bit further. So the answer right off the bat is it's not as obvious as you might think. Um, digging further into the studies, um, we do know that a couple things. So number one, it is definitely possible to cause bone loss with too much thyroid medication. First, that, that's definitely, um, that seems to be true. I shouldn't say definitely, but that seems to be true. Um, the second truth is that the amount of bone loss, it seems to correlate with the degree of TSH suppression, okay? So again, going back to our example, if you just take 125 micrograms of T4, that's not the same as taking 600 micrograms of T4 and having an even lower TSH. So those people that have a TSH closer to zero are going to experience more bone loss than let's say those people who have a TSH of just 0.3, okay? That makes sense. Um, and I think I just talk about this a little bit here. Yes, I just explained that. But here I think is more important. Here's some other, here's some other uh, things that we need to ask ourselves. Now, um, well, first of all, we'll just talk about this. The, the, bone, the studies that show that there have been some bone loss secondary to TSH suppression, they only show um, bone loss in women who are postmenopausal. It doesn't exist in premenopausal women. So if you are a, if you are a woman, if you're a female, um, let's just say less than 50, even though that's not, you know, necessarily when you'll go through menopause, but let's just say you're less than 50 and you're having a normal cycle. You pretty much regardless of the amount of, of suppression that is currently going on in your body, you're not going to experience any bone loss. And the reason for that is felt to be because of the protective benefits that estrogen has on your bones. 
Okay, so it's so obviously there's something more at play here, and that that seems to be true. So the question then becomes, what if you're a postmenopausal woman? If you are postmenopausal, you you are suppressing your TSH, but if you take estrogen or bioidentical hormone therapy, is there still a risk for bone loss? And the answer is, somebody has actually done this study, which I thought was pretty interesting because usually stuff like this doesn't occur. Um, but actually, studies have shown that if you fall into that category, if you're postmenopausal, um, if you have a suppressed TSH, but if you take estrogen, then you don't experience bone loss. So that's pretty interesting already. So what that tells us right away is that there's this story of thyroid hormone equals bone loss is incomplete at best. There's, there's more factors. There's more hormones. There's a lot of other things at play here. Um, so that's one inter in, important point. The second, and, and, and even though the results found this, the authors of that study, I think they still said something like, well, um, even though there's a benefit of using estrogen therapy um, in postmenopausal women, we're still concerned because replacing hormones in, in postmenopausal women is still considered somewhat um, risky. But I, I would argue that that's a whole other topic. Um, there is absolutely a safe way to replace hormones, bioidentical hormones in postmenopausal women in such a way that you do not increase risk of breast cancer, you do not increase the risk of uterine cancer, and you still maintain all the benefits that the, the premenopausal women experience because of those hormone levels. So I, I'm, I'm sort of saying right now that that's a non-issue, but you can read more into that later and we'll talk about that more in, in other blog posts as we go on here. The second thing is, let's say for whatever reason you can't take, let's say you are postmenopausal, you do have a TS, you have a suppressed TSH, but you can't take hormone therapy. Let's just say you have a history of breast cancer, or you don't want to, or your um, it doesn't work for you, or your doctor says no, I'm not going to prescribe that to you. Well, what if women who fall into that category just take calcium supplements? Does that reduce the amount of bone loss that they experience? And the answer to that is yes, as well. So obviously, we have some some something else or, or something more at play than just thyroid hormone equals bone loss. Um, so if there is any concern, the bottom line is um, it's not as clear cut as we'd like to think. If you fall into this category where you you are postmenopausal, you're worried about your bones because they've been shown to to be low or or brittle or um, weak or whatever, then you should look into two things. Number one is calcium supplementation. Number two would be bioidentical hormone replacement therapy or a combination of both. And it seems to me, based off of the studies that I've looked at, that there is probably a way to mitigate the majority of bone loss that occurs secondary to TSH suppression if you have normal um, estrogen progesterone therapy levels and also if you have normal calcium um, in your body, which is pretty good news. Um, I would say. So So I don't think that that's as big as a concern as most people make it out or most physicians make it out to be. Now, the second thing though is is the, the topic of TSH suppression um, and heart problems. Now specifically, we talk about it, I'm going to be talking about atrial fibrillation and cardiac enlargement. So this is a whole other topic. So like I said before, remember, there's two main things that doctors like to frequently cite as a reason that you can't suppress your TSH. One is bone loss, which I think we've discussed um, um, at some length here. The second is the heart problems. Now, this one's a little bit different um, than the bone loss, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but, but here's how it works. There's a couple points to think about. So just like bones, your heart does have thyroid receptors, okay? Which means that if a, if a tissue has thyroid receptors, it will respond to thyroid hormone. Um, now, what's interesting about the heart, though, the heart tissue, the heart cells, it these, these tissues lack the ability to convert T4 into T3. 
Now, other tissues in the body, they can do this through a deiodinase system, which is an enzyme, and they can, they can adjust T4 and turn into T3 based off the needs of, their body, needs of the tissue. Your heart cannot do that, which means it's most sensitive to T3, circulating T3 in your blood and in your serum, which means um, those people who take T3 medications or medications which consist of T3 hormones, such as natural desiccated thyroid, armor, armor thyroid, WP thyroid, etc., um, or lyothyronine slash cytomel, those are patients who are likely going to experience these cardiac complications simply because the heart doesn't respond very well to T4 medication. And it only, it only responds to T4 medication if it's readily converted. Now, there's, there's some good reason to believe that up to 15% of people don't convert very well, T4 into T3, I mean. So, you know, this may explain why patients who go from taking, let's say, T4-only medication and they switch to natural desiccated thyroid or they switch to T3 medication, they suddenly start to experience heart palpitations and things like that. Um, and this that's because the heart responds more readily to T3 than it does to, to T4. Um, and and the, so that's just some basic physiology. Then the other thing is, how does the heart respond to that T3? So what happens is this. It has two types of functions. It has genomic functions and it has non-genomic functions. Um, the non-genomic, genome, genome refers to basically changing DNA. So if, so if something has genomic effects, what it means is the hormone is coming in there, it's, it's, uh, landing inside the nucleus and it's altering the production of, of genes and DNA that's being produced. Okay. Now, non-genomic refers to pretty much anything outside of the nucleus, anything outside of genetic function. Now, T3 in the heart has both effects. Um, and the, so for instance, T3 activates calcium channel um, pumps in the heart, which causes the heart to beat harder. And so when you take T3, it flushes into your serum or into your bloodstream. It goes to your heart. It sits on it, activates these receptors, and that causes your heart to pump really hard. And so how do you think that you would experience that as a patient? That's experienced as a heart palpitation, right? You're feeling your heart pounding, like beating in your chest. That's why it has that secondary effect. Um, now, what you could do is you could just slow down the amount of T3 that you take. You could split up the dose that you take. And if you do that, then you're reducing this flush of T3 that enters into your body and activates the heart. So you can reduce the, these palpitations. But that's not the only effect. The, the, um, the perhaps second and, and more important effect is the fact that um, T3 comes in and it alters genetic function and it causes the production of certain enzymes which increase the size of the heart. Okay, now that's a problem. Um, you do not want to have an enlarged heart uh, simply because it it starts to um, interfere with the way that your heart uh, pumps. It can interfere with the, the conduction and the impulses of the heart, which can change your rhythm. And it can also cause um, changes to, the, to your valves, which can cause them to leak um, and can cause all sorts of problems with the pump function of the heart itself. So you really don't want... Um, you really don't want cardiac enlargement or hypertrophy or heart enlargement. Um, how, but you can probably deal with the side effects of, of the activation of the calcium channel pumps. That probably doesn't seem to be a big deal. Now, if we look, if we strictly look at the data, now before, remember when I, we were talking about bones, we said, well, some of the data said this and some of the data said that. There isn't as much data, believe it or not, on the impact of thyroid hormones on cardiac function. But from, from what exists, you can pretty much clearly tell that that even small amounts of, of thyroid hormone, the, the higher you get um, in terms of TSH suppression, the more impact it has on the heart. Okay, so and and that that's pretty straightforward. Now the question is, is there any way to mediate or or uh, mitigate, meaning reduce the impact that T3 has on cardiac function? 
And the answer to that is, is potentially. So first of all, it doesn't look like everybody um, is sensitive to T3 in the same way. So patients who may take um, natural desiccated thyroid with a suppressed TSH or T3 may not even experience these heart problems. It doesn't occur in everybody. Um, but so let's say, let's take away those people and say that you do fall into the category where it might. Now, is there some way to block that? And the answer is potentially yes. Now, if we look at, if we look at the, the way that thyroid hormone activates the heart, it looks like it's, it's causing a potentiation of um, this, the, the way that your cells respond to adrenaline, okay? So that seems to be one of the mechanisms by which um, the, the effects of T3 take hold on the heart. Now, what we can do, though, is we, we, can, we can take advantage of one of the therapies, potentially. I, I'm not saying you should or should not do this. I'm just speaking generally. Um, we can take advantage of one of the secondary side effects of a medication that's used to treat hyperthyroid patients, and that is beta blockers. Now, some studies have shown that, especially in these subclinical hyperthyroid patients, which we might be able to equate at least loosely to patients who have a suppressed TSH, is that those patients, if they have any sort of heart issues, giving them beta blockers, which is a type of medication, is enough to completely reverse any of the heart changes that occur. Okay, so that's one potential way. Now, the second the second way that you can look at this is. Um, is is there any risk in temporarily using thyroid medication such as T3 um, in such a way that it that you can get, gain the benefits of the of the thyroid hormone without causing the cardiac enlargement and the other things that we talked about? And the answer to that is probably. Um, there's not a lot of data on that, but probably. The reason is um, number one, if you if you remove the thyroid hormone or you block the action of thyroid hormone with a beta blocker or you just simply reduce your dose, then any any effects are usually reversible. So that's number one. Um, and number two is these side effects tend to take a very, very, very long time to kick in. So I'm not talking like months. I'm talking years to probably decades. So generally, when we refer to the heart, we refer to cardiac enlargement. It's the result of something that has, you know, happened 10, 20 years ago. And this is just the the constant small effects that that it has on your heart on a daily basis. Because remember, your heart's your heart's working all the time. Um, so even a small, you know, little bit of drag on it can cause it to grow over time. But but the but the point is here. If you only do it for a short period of time, it's probably not a sufficient amount of time to cause long-term issues. So again, the, the heart issue is another one. Um, it's worth looking at. But remember a couple things. Number one, not everybody even has that problem. Okay, so even even hyperthyroid patients who have really high doses of, high, of thyroid in their body don't have any heart problems. Okay, they have an increased risk of developing them, but not all patients um, not all patients with, let's say, Graves' disease even have these same issues. So that's number one. Number two is, even if you do have it, you might be able to block and completely reverse any of the cardiac effects with the use of a beta blocker. Number three is, um, using the medication for a short period of time is is uh, probably not going to cause any of these long-term effects anyways. And even if you were to stop taking the medication, they should, they should reverse as well. So again, that may or may not be scary based off of your history. Now, you absolutely wouldn't want to suppress your TSH if you already have a history of some sort of heart problem or heart failure or you've had a heart attack or something like that. There's just no reason to do this. Um, but you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're feeling good and, and there might be some situations in which you could get away with it. Um, and again, I should have pointed out here earlier, I, I have links to the studies up in, in this article, and you can go to the article and find the, the, stu the, the links here. They're, they're all of these, um, these highlighted, bolded, um, orange uh, phrases. Um, but one of the studies had mentioned that really, much like the, the women who, or much like the, the people who experience bone loss, it tends to be in older patients um, who are 
um, postmenopausal who experience these side effects. So if you are a you know woman less than 50 with a suppressed TSH, you're probably not going to have any issues with your heart. You're probably not going to have any issues with your bones. It tends to occur later in life and that older population. So if you are older, if you are postmenopausal, um, or you're a man over the age of 50 who has gone through andropause, same thing. You're probably at higher risk for developing these things, but it may not occur in all of you. So the next question is, should you actually suppress your TSH? We could probably talk for an hours, hours on this topic alone. I'm not going to do that, um, at least not now. Um, if there's any, if there's any um, specific requests that you guys have, you can leave them in the comments and I can address those questions because um, some of them are better uh, left for me talking than for writing blog posts on. But, um, but, the, but the question is, should you suppress your TSH? And basically the answer to that is, is no, that should never actually be your goal. Um, there's no reason to suppress the TSH if you don't need to. Now, what happens a lot is um, the TSH is used as the de facto and the single best measurement of thyroid status in your body. Um, and I, I just don't think that that's true. Um, if I, I, I wish that, um, that, that there was some study that said, you know, it either was or it wasn't. But it, it, to get to that conclusion, it's just been, I, I've been reading through a lot of different studies. I've practiced on a lot of different patients. And, and I just don't think the TSH is the single best marker of thyroid status in your body. I think it needs to be used in conjunction with T3, T4, reverse T3, and other thyroid thyroid lab test. Um, so you never want to dose just simply based on the TSH. That's just not a, not a good recipe to, to manage your thyroid. Instead, it's probably better to look at the TSH, but also look at your free T3 levels um, and other factors, um, including other hormones. So what I see happen a lot among patients is that usually because they don't have, let's say, they don't have very good support from their current physician, they are sort of forced to take the reins or take charge of their, their thyroid management. And so what do they do? Well, they think usually it's, their logic goes something like this. Well, if, if, if I'm on, you know, 50, let's just say 50, let's just say one grain, if I'm on six, one grain of armor thyroid, um, and it's not working well, then maybe the answer is two. And if I felt a little bit better on two, maybe the answer is three, or maybe the answer is four. Now that's not the way you really want to look at this because the thing that you might be missing is some other hormone imbalance, such as insulin resistance or leptin resistance, which is complicating your issue and you can't brute force your way out of a thyroid you can't brute force your way out of these other hormone imbalances just by taking more thyroid hormones so if you're suppressing your tsh as a result of that then that's not going to be a good thing then you are probably putting yourself at unnecessary risk now there may be a case for temporarily using and i would actually argue this that there there there, there may be and probably is in many patients a case where temporarily suppressing the TSH to optimize your total T3 and free T3 level, specifically for weight loss and restoration of hormone balance, such as estrogen and progesterone, for a temporary short period of time, I believe that, that in most cases that's not only beneficial, but it's sufficient to normalize your weight and to fix those hormone problems with, with just a, a small temporary uh, TSH uh, suppression there. So I think that it really just depends on how you look at it, what your problem is, and how you approach it. So it's not there's, there's no blanket statement that I can give that would apply to all of you out there. Um, instead, you really need to look on it on a case-by-case -case basis. I have some links here that you can use, um, which talk about why the TSH isn't the most accurate test, and then also what other thyroid lab tests you want to look at, how to, how to measure those, um, how to find the optimal ranges, and, and a series of other, um, uh, a lot more information in, in those links as well. So I'd, I'd recommend that you do that. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is, Let's say you're not sure. Let's say your doctor is at least somewhat willing to work at you, work with you. The la the last thing that you could do is you could also, you could simply just monitor your heart and your bones as you take your thyroid medication. It's not that difficult of a concept. 
We, we monitor bone mass and bone density all the times with a DEXA scan. We monitor heart function all the time with an echocardiogram. So you could get both of these tests and you can monitor the, the, the density of your bones and you can monitor the function and the size of your heart. If you notice that it was getting, if your heart was getting bigger, your bone loss was increasing, then you can adjust your dosing based off that. But, but I don't think it makes sense to automatically say that all TSH suppression is negative and all TSH suppression is bad without even checking to see if you're responding negatively to, to the things that we discussed. So there are absolutely ways to do this. Doctors know this. Um, this isn't, what I'm saying here isn't necessarily profound in any way. Um, it's just a different way of looking at the problem. And I think, I think that as patients become more complex, as people become, um, let's just say sicker over time or more sick, they, they're developing uh, multiple comorbidities and, and multiple medical conditions which topple on top of each other, which make treatment paradigms very difficult to apply to everybody, which means that the therapies that you need is going to be different from the therapies that your neighbor needs and so forth. And so we really need to be looking, we, we really need to be practicing a more personalized approach to medicine. And I think this is the first way to go about doing that, which is to, to ask what do, what do you need as the patient and kind of go from there. So I know that's a lot of information. Um, it's a pretty heated and I would say a controversial topic. Um, but if you have any questions, let me know. You can uh, feel free to leave them um, at the bottom here. Um, likewise, if you have any other topics that you'd like me to cover, perhaps more more in depth or, or more detail, let me know as well. We can kind of go from there. Um, but otherwise, hope hope you guys found this informative.